This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the U.S. Grains Council, selling American corn, sorghum, barley, and co-products to buyers around the world every day. Our guest this week is Joanne Emerson, former member of the U.S. Congress and now the CEO of the National Rural Electric Cooperative Association. We'll hear from Ms. Emerson after this from the U.S. Grains Council. Global markets are an incredible challenge as well as an opportunity. You simply cannot overstate the importance of boots on the ground speaking the local language and understanding local political and regulatory constraints. That's what the U.S. Grains Council does. The explosive food demand is in developing countries where a growing middle class is moving to first world quality diets. But as we look at those markets, the volatility is extraordinary. The U.S. Grains Council is out there 24-7 establishing relationships, building trust, and opening doors for corn, sorghum, barley, and their co-products. And that translates into economic gains for farmers in the United States. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Our guest this week is Joanne Emerson, CEO of the National Rural Electric Cooperative Association. After a failed attempt to bring legislative change in carbon emissions in 2009, President Obama is now using the regulatory arm of the EPA to bring about a major reduction in carbon emissions from fossil fuel power plants. The move brings no guarantee that other countries like China and India will follow suit. Critics like Joanne Emerson with the NRECA see the move as another battle in the administration's war on coal that ultimately will raise electricity rates, eliminate jobs, and depress the nation's economic recovery. The sad thing about the fact that Congress is not doing its job right now, and that is passing laws or trying to get rid of laws, but they're not functioning well, and so this is the time that the regulators love to come in and say, okay, well, if you're not doing your work and you're not passing new laws that we can implement, we're just going to start from our end and propose regulations that will, uh, in this particular case, Jeff, uh, could cause a, a potential large increase in the cost of electricity for all of the folks in your listenership area, uh, certainly in my, my home state of Missouri and Kentucky, Indiana, Illinois, uh, all of those states uh, among many, many others uh, around the country uh, can be potentially harmed, not only uh, the family budget, but if in fact it, it shows and it's proven through this regulation that we have to actually close and shutter our coal-fired power plants around the country, then think of all the folks who work at that power plant. Think of how the economy in that local community is driven by that power plant. And then the fact that on top of that you ask people to spend more money for electricity when they may not even have a job, I mean, it's just absolutely crazy. The only tiny, tiny bit of silver lining is the fact that the administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency has asked and and said, we will make changes if you can show us how harmful this will be. And so we're going to embrace that, and we are working very hard to be able to show on a state-by-state, probably community-by-community level, um, the harmful effects of, of this. 
and and the worst case is is that at the end of the day, I don't really think we're talking about more than a 1.78% worldwide reduction in carbon to begin with. When the announcement was made, Ms. McCarthy said, quote, Critics claim that your energy bills will skyrocket. Well, they're wrong. And then she repeats again, shall I say it again, they're wrong. Well, I'm not quite sure how if you remove sources of power from the fuel mix that a power plant or a utility can offer, how that somehow makes it cheaper to provide electricity. So it, let's just, here's a perfect example. Let's, let's just say uh, the power plant in New Madrid, Missouri, that's close to my home, uh, the power, if the power plant in New Madrid, Missouri has to add seven to ten million dollars worth of equipment to meet whatever standards the state is going to end up having to set based on this law and they're going to have to add that much is it going to be worth it to them to invest that money or will they say oh you know what we're just going to close this power plant down and and so there's a huge economic cost there well, it so happens that Naranda Aluminum, one of the few aluminum smelters left in the United States, they get their power from our co-op there at uh, Associated Electric at, at, at the power plant at New Madrid. There are 975 jobs there, so the power plant's got 250-ish, and the power and the and the smelter has 975. That's the major, those, those are the major employers in that whole county. So you can't tell me that the electric bills aren't going to go up for somebody who doesn't have a job because they aren't going to have any money to pay for it in the first place. Um, secondly, I will say that Ms. McCarthy, who, who is well-intentioned, I actually, she is, she's actually a very nice person, but she's being directed by the White House. This is not emanating from the EPA. They're doing what White House, the White House says. I will say that They've said that somehow we're going to grow jobs with this new regulation. Uh, and all I can see is one coal-fired power plant after another having to be shuttered and people losing their jobs. And you certainly can't convert a coal plant to a gas plant if you don't have any means by which to get gas to that locality. And secondly, that doesn't, that's going to take a whole long time to have to make a conversion. Uh, I just, I don't think this is based on common sense. I think that it is catering to some, uh, you know, California and New York organizations who would like nothing better than for us to, to power all of our uh, electricity through wind or solar, including our farm tractors. A editorial in the Washington Post is quoting the Chamber of Commerce saying this proposed regulation would cut 224,000 jobs annually and gross domestic product by $51 billion. Ms. McCarthy says the cost of it would be about a gallon of milk a month. She says the critics are, again, deliberately overestimating the cost. Well, I will tell you that I have uh, the chamber report and the study on my desk, and I've only read the executive summary. And, you know, I think everybody has their own study. And even if we slice and dice it and say, okay, it's somewhere between what, what Administrator McCarthy says and what the chamber says, you're still looking at 150,000 jobs lost 
in uh, per year. Uh, I, I don't think that they did the right kind of cost-benefit analysis, and I've never known the Environmental Protection Agency to do a cost-benefit analysis uh, that was based on any kind of common sense in my life. Consider the administration suggesting that they're now going to lead the fight, the global fight, against climate change. When we were talking about cap and trade, when Mr. Gore was involved in some of the early rounds of negotiation on the environment, it it appeared quite obvious in the fact that the U.S. was going to be giving up energy, was going to be giving up, and perhaps some of the rest of the world might have the opportunity to increase carbon protection, a.k.a. China. Well, I I will only tell you, based on my past life in Congress, I attended two of the UN meetings as part of the Congressional Observer Group. And we had, uh, that one was in Kyoto, Japan, and the other was in Buenos Aires, Argentina. We had several meetings with the Chinese government as well as the Indian government. And in both instances, as, as we were you know, saying, well, if the United States does X, will China or India do X or even mini X? And they said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. We are not going to undercut any kind of economic development opportunities we have for all of our citizens because we have to be able to provide them jobs. And I do not, other than the fact that China actually has some good um, carbon capture sequestration technologies that they're working on. I see no evidence on the part of China uh, to to restrict or cut their their emissions, their carbon emissions. And I I cannot imagine that even if the United States, if we were going to cut our nose despite our face, and let's say we were going to do a 50% reduction, which is even in the excess of of what this administration is asking for, I don't believe that the Chinese or any of the developing countries will follow suit. I I cannot believe it based on past history. If you look at fuel sources, some would easily suggest that natural gas is cheaper. For some, you would suggest that's a wash of going from one fuel source to the other. Others fear that if the whole country makes a sea change away from coal and toward natural gas, that, number one, natural gas prices will go up, and also the byproduct of natural gas like fertilizer will also be higher for farmers in rural America. Can you comment? Yeah, there, there's no doubt in my mind that uh, if we if we fuel switch totally to natural gas, uh, then obviously the price of natural gas is going to go up, and one's energy bill would go up as well. Uh, I know that there are a lot of companies who are in, not only in the uh, in the investor-owned utility uh, electricity world, but also in, within our co-ops and some of the public power and in the municipalities around the country, they are making a switch from coal to gas. But they're not making a switch if they have uh, costs, uh, stranded costs. In other words, when you build a power plant, a co-op or any kind of utility takes out a mortgage. They do not pay cash up front. And in many cases, if they borrowed money from the rural utility service of the Department of Agriculture, they are not pro, pro, they are prohibited today from refinancing that mortgage, if you will. And so, if if you've got 15 years of useful life left in a plant, 
you can't afford to start, you know, convert it over if you have to get another mortgage because you, you can only have one mortgage on it. And so it, it just depends on where it is. And I will say this, mark my words that at some point in the future, uh, the same groups who are pushing the president to re- restrict carbon emissions are going to go at want to go after natural gas because while the carbon emissions from natural gas are probably half of what they are from coal-fired power plants, there still are carbon emissions, and uh, so. If, that's just the next step, and, and that's the dirty little secret that nobody wants to talk about. If I'm a member of an electric cooperative anywhere in the breadbasket of the country, why should I be concerned about not just this rule but the intent of this rule? I, I, if I were a member of a rural electric co-op in anywhere in the, in the United States, particularly in the heartland and in the south, I would be concerned that my electricity bills would go up substantially in order to meet the requirements set forth by this proposal. And because I would not have, my co-op would not have all the means necessary, they can't pass along all that increased cost to me, the consumer and member of that co-op. And so they'll have to shutter plants and the like as a result of this. I find it interesting when I watch the EPA on one side, as we're looking at the final announcement of the volumetric output of renewable fuels that potentially could cut ethanol and other renewables, that's a license to put more carbon in the air. And then with our coal-fired plants, we're offering another regulation that would tighten controls on rural America and would be pulling back from carbon emissions. They're not consistent. No, there's there's no consistency, and I have a I have a suspicion that at the end of the day, Jeff, that the targets every state has now a target that the EPA has set for it of carbon intensity that it may have, and each state is going to be allowed to be they're going to be given a year to actually write up a plan that will try to meet those numbers that EPA has outlined for them. Uh, Keep in mind, too, that not only is the physical plant itself included in this, but, but the but the EPA has said that you can use every means possible. Um, the Clean Air Act doesn't really allow that to happen, so we'll see that that could part that part could end up in in the courts. But at at the end of the day, we need every kind of fuel source available to us. Look what happened last winter with the, po- the alleged polar vortex, um, and I say alleged because there are a lot of times that we've had really cold winters like we just had, but at the end of the day, we couldn't get propane moving to where it needed to go, so people had to rely on natural gas, and you saw natural gas prices skyrocket uh, during that several-week period during the during really the heart of, of, of the cold winter. And so unless we have for bottom-line baseload generation, if we don't have the ability to tap into coal or any kind of natural resource that we are currently using, um, you know, we're basically undercutting our ability as a country uh, to meet the demands that could be placed upon us. And we are not, and, and, and I don't, 
I'm, I'm praying that that's not what this administration is trying to do, but it's real hard for me to believe it's not. From a dollars and cents perspective, is it easy now or do you anticipate offering additional numbers of what this could cost rural cooperatives and what this could cost the country? Um, our research and technology and strategic analysis folks are crunching numbers around the clock right now. We are looking at, the, we're trying to figure out backwards what the formulas are that this that the Environmental Protection Agency used to arrive at these numbers. And we are taking a look at not only what impact uh each will what the impact will be on each state but also all of our power uh, all of our members power plants around the country. And we're doing it strictly for the co-ops right now but you can pretty well extrapolate. The large energy companies, the large electric companies you know, they've got shareholders and they've got the ability to ask for big rate increases. We do not have, we don't work under those same regulations. And so it's a whole lot harder for us to be able to recover any kind of cost that we would have to do to, um, but, but then let me also say, Jeff, that in the last, uh, really 10 to 12 years, we have reduced, uh, emissions from our power plants by over 50%. And we've done it voluntarily uh, with a lot of flexibility. We've tried to meet our consumer and our and our co-op owners. Those are our those are the people who get their electricity from us. We've tried to meet their demands and or requests for solar or wind energy and renewables. We're actually way ahead of the industry in general on providing that mix of renewables. Um, but we've done it because we've been able to make it work to keep costs down. And suddenly when the government comes in with a big old regulation like this one and mandates that you do X, Y, and Z, that's when there's a huge impact at the person at the end of the line, and those are our consumers and our members uh, who stand to be financially hurt by this proposal as it stands today anyway. Ms. Emerson says the NRECA is concerned about the environment and points out they've reduced carbon emissions by 50% over the past decade without additional government regulations. You've been listening to AgriPulse Open Mic, brought to you by the U.S. Grains Council, selling American corn, sorghum, barley, and co-products to buyers around the world every day. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nally.